0: How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good. Yes. All right. We'll get there. Well, thank you, Pastor Scott. I'm excited to be here. I think the, the first and the last time I was here, this building was under construction. And uh, so this is actually my first time here, and um, it's a blessing to be here with you guys. And thank you uh, so much for partnering with Teen Challenge, Adult and Teen Challenge. Uh, I know the Women's Home, and uh, as well as the, uh, the Worcester Center, we thank you uh, just for your partnership, praying for us and walking alongside of us and believing that God uh, will bring uh, an end to addiction. And we, we thank God for that. And um, so we're going to talk about missions. And But before we do that, I've I've always said this to Pastor Scott and Tiffany. I'm convinced that they have the fountain of youth in their living room because I've known them for 23 years, and they seem to never age. Are you guys with me on that? They seem to never age, and maybe stress isn't part of the issue. I, I don't know, but they just look younger and younger every time I see them. Amen. If you guys don't mind standing with me uh, really quick, if you're able to, if you have your Bibles, your cell phone, your iPad, your laptop, I don't know, your desktop, just hold it up in the air <laughs> and repeat after me. I pledge allegiance, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, to the Bible God's, holy word. God's holy word. I will make it, will make it a, lamp a lamp unto my feet, my feet and, a and a light unto my path. I will hide his word inside of my heart that I might not sin against God. If the word of the Lord has transformed your life, let me hear you shout amen. Okay. All right. Turn with me if you're able to still stand, turn with me. Turn with me to the book of Jonah. That will be page 478. If you have your phone, just swipe right and Jonah will be right there. All right, here we go. One day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Let me hear you say Nineveh. Nineveh. (laughs) It says preach to them. They are in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went in the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board, joining those guys headed to Tarshish, as far away from God as he could get. But God sent a huge storm. Somebody say storm. Storm. At sea, and the waves towering, the ship was about to break into pieces. The sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods. They threw everything they they were carrying overboard to lighten up the ship. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship to take a nap. He was sound asleep. Jonah was down there, it's not in the Bible, but I believe he was down there snoring because there's no way you could fall asleep in the middle of a storm on a ship. The captain came to him and said, what's this? Sleeping? Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe your God will see we're in trouble and rescue us. Then the sailors said to one another, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's draw straws to identify the culprit on this ship who's responsible for this disaster. So they drew straws. Jonah got the short straw. They grilled them. Confess. Why this disaster? What is your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? He told them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And that the men were frightened, really frightened, and said, what on earth have you done? As Jonah talked, the sailors realized that he was running away from God. They said to him, what are we going to do with you to get rid of this storm? By this time, the sea was wild, totally out of control. Jonah said, throw me overboard into the sea. Then the storm would stop. It's all my fault. I'm the cause of the storm. Get rid of me, and you'll get rid of the storm. But no, the men tried rowing back to shore. They made no headway. The storm only got worse and worse, wild and raging. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed to God. Oh, God, don't let us drown Don't because of this man's life, and don't blame us for his death. You are God. Do what you think is best. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. Jonah probably thought, Let me just throw this out there, and they'll never throw me overboard. But the Bible says they threw him overboard. Immediately the sea was quieted. The sailors were impressed, no longer terrified by the sea, but in awe of God. They worshiped God. They offered a sacrifice and made vows. Then God assigned a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the fish's belly three days and nights. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray in these moments, God, that you would speak to our heart. Lord, let us know how passionate you are for the lost. And Father, we thank you. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Simon says, you may be seated. Now, the book of Jonah is unlike any prophetic book in the Bible, In that, it is a narrative describing the adventures of a prophet who tried to disobey God's command. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. It was simple. He didn't speak in tongues. He didn't, you know, send a smoke signal. He said, go to Nineveh and preached against it. The capital of the great empire of Assyria, Israel's deadly army. Jonah did not want to go where God was sending him because he was convinced that God would not carry out his threat to destroy the city. The book of Jonah portrays God as a God of love and mercy who would rather forgive and save even the enemies of his people than to punish and destroy them. It truly is a beautiful book that displays the heartbeat of God. My assignment this morning, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is to unpack this particular passage and to help us move in a direction where we are challenged spiritually, built up mentally, and strengthened emotionally, thus leading us into a deep desire to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a good place for an amen. Amen. So the first thing that I found in this passage... like that huh (laughs) jonah's rebellion jonah chapter 1 verse 3 says but jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from god when god tells us to do one thing and we deliberately do something else it's called rebellion it's not called having issues it's not called being in a struggle it's called flat out rebellion God gave Jonah specific instructions on what he wanted Jonah to do, yet Jonah chose to do something else. It would be very easy for me to stand up here this morning and to beat Jonah up for his rebellion, but to get a full understanding as to why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh, we would have to read the book of Nahum. In the book of Nahum, we read about the Ninevites who were a group of violent people and they showed absolutely no mercy towards their enemies. They would kill you and put your body on public display. The Ninevites were relentless and persistent in sin. Nineveh was a place that practiced full-blown idolatry. In other words, they worshiped all kinds of gods. So think about this for a moment. Jonah was a Hebrew, which means he was an Israelite and the Ninevites absolutely hated the Hebrews, the nation of Israel. And now God is sending Jonah as a missionary to share a message that could save the souls of the Ninevites. So one can't blame Jonah for his decision to rebel. I don't know about you, but I can relate to Jonah. My father came to the United States where we're from a Haitian descent and my father and mother came to the United States right at the beginning of the civil rights movement, like dead smack in it. They knew nothing about it and they walked into to probably the most uh, terrifying time in their life. My father experienced things. He saw things. And as as kids, they would share these stories with us. And he would tell us like everything that, that he put on the line so that we could have a better life here in the United States of America. And for my siblings, my brother and sister, it was an amazing history class. My father wasn't doing it to, to have us, you know, be angry at people. He was just saying, listen, I'm give, I, we we sacrificed everything. You know, we came over here, so we don't want you guys wasting your life. We don't want you wasting your time. But for me, those stories became seeds of anger and bitterness. Because I couldn't understand how people could be so cruel to my dad. My father was my hero. My mother was my hero, and it would break my heart to know what they went through. And so years of hearing that, years of of seeing different things take place, I only grew more bitter and bitter and angry towards people that didn't look like me. Go on to high school. I graduate high school. I'm born and raised in New York City. And God, I wasn't even saved at the time, but God takes me out of New York City, a melting pot, and he ships me over to Massachusetts. Some of y'all catching that? Yeah. Yeah. So here I am. My father drives me to school, and we're in, we're in the car. We get to Massachusetts. I'm excited, but I'm still thinking wait a minute. New York is like being in Jambalaya. And I get to my college dorm, and I meet my first roommate. His name was Patrick, and he was a Haitian guy, and so we hit it off right away. Everything was lovely, but I knew I had another roommate. I couldn't wait to meet him, and in walks Gary. (laughs) Gary had Doc Martin boots. I'm not making this up. They were up to his knees. He had a flight jacket. He had a chain that went from here to his back pocket, and Gary had a bald head. Gary was a skinhead. I'm thinking, this is not gonna work out. This is my roommate. And now Gary begins to unpack and he's laying out all of his knives and I look at Patrick and I'm like, Patrick, we're gonna do this thing in shifts. You're gonna stay up in the first half, I'm gonna stay up in the second half. Cause none of us were gonna get any shut eye. But the year went on and I began to know Gary and Gary and I began to talk and we began to you know, just share things about each other. And I began to realize that Gary was only a product of his environment. He was accepted by that group and so that's, how com- that's why Gary became who he was. But then more than anything, I realized that I had a lot of Gary in me. And there were seeds that were sown way back when. And so fast forward and Gary and I become good friends and, and I'm realizing, wow, this, this kid is just like, a, he's just a mirror of me. I didn't know the Lord yet. But I knew that God was, at this point in my life, I knew that God used that experience to begin to transform and, and shape my heart because he had something in life for me that I had no, like, no thought of what it was going to be. I graduate college and I stay in the Massachusetts area. I move to Rhode Island and I meet a man by the name of Mike Pelletier on the Ripta bus and Mike shares the gospel with me. He invites me to church and the church now is in North Providence. And if you know anything about North Providence, it's just a place that brothers ain't trying to go to. You don't get pulled over for a DUI, you get pulled over for a DWB, driving while black. And so I was a little like leery about going in there, but I went anyway. And when I walked through those doors, I saw flags hanging off the wall. I saw just a beautiful picture of all races, all cultures worshiping God. And they were singing and I just, I was blown away because I realized that God loves people. And when I walked down, I was looking for a seat. I had nowhere to sit in. And it it was Jackie and Roger. They said, are you here by yourself? I said, yes. And they said, sit with us. And I sat with them every single Sunday. You see, God wants to do a work in our heart. He wanted to do something in my heart. I know that now, but I didn't know that then. When Gary walks in and he's my roommate. This is something... That God wants to do in each and every one of our hearts. If we are to fulfill the great commission, there mu- we must allow the Holy Spirit to do a deep work within our heart that will remove any and all type of racial, religious, political, economic, social, and sexist biases that we have against people. Otherwise, we will not find ourselves living a life that, 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 you know, lines up with the heartbeat of God because God loves people. Yes. Yes. That's right. yes. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, down to earth to embark on a missionary journey. Jonah was a prophet of God. Yet he did not want the Ninevites to get saved because he had biases towards them. So if we can see this trait within the heart of God's prophet, is it fair to say that we might find one or many of these traits within our heart? So I ask you this morning, do you have any racial biases towards people who don't look like you? Do you have any religious biases towards people who don't worship like you? Do you have any political biases towards people who don't vote like you? Do you have any sexist biases towards people of the opposite sex? If we consider ourselves to be a child of God, then we need to know that God has called his people to love all kinds of people. It will be very hard to reach the loss if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do a deep work within our hearts that can remove any and all kind of biases because God wants to populate heaven. Amen? The second thing that jumps out of the text to me, the result of the rebellion. Jonah chapter one, verse four says, but God sent a huge storm at the sea. The waves towering the ship was about to break into pieces. The sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods. The Bible tells us that the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm. When you and I choose to rebel, we need to expect that bad weather is coming our way. Expect to be in a storm. And if you're a child of God and you are living in rebellion, expect that God is going to come after you. If you are living in rebellion and you think that it's all well, just know that God has not gotten to your name yet. I believe God's old school. He operates on a Rolodex, 45 and over, understand what I'm talking about. And he just hasn't gotten to your name yet. But the Bible says in Hebrews that he disciplines those he loves. So he's coming because he loves us. He doesn't want us to remain stuck in a situation that can cripple our soul. Not only that, but expect that everyone around us will suffer as well. The sailors were in a terrible storm because they had Jonah on the boat. All throughout the Bible, there have been a number of people who have found themselves to be in negative situations because a rebel was on board. There are people who have become a collateral damage because of one person's rebellious decision. Expect that when we decide to go the wrong way, our family will suffer, our children will suffer, and all of those around us will suffer because of our bad decisions. Sin has a ripple effect. It's like when you throw a rock in the ocean and you begin to see the ripples. That's what sin does. The closer you are to the, to the to person, the more traumatic it is. But it keeps on going. It's going to affect people way down the line. But God does not want us living like that because he has a purpose and a plan for mankind, and he's choosing us to do that. He's choosing us to preach the gospel. So we have to come to God and say, Lord, whatever it is that's hindering me from doing your work, I don't want to be attached to it. Amen? Men, hear me out on this. If our bad decision can have a negative impact, just think about the impact that we can have when we make one good decision. A Christian standard research shows that when a father attends church regularly, the children have a greater likelihood of faithfully attending church services as an adult. The father's regular attendance rather than the mother's most uh, most determines the future church attendance of a child. Another survey found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability everyone in the household will follow. It's important to get the word of God in the kids because the kids can be missionaries too. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, then there is a 70% probability everyone else in the household would follow. However, when a father is the first, there is a 93% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. Men, our decision our decisions affect our family in a positive or negative manner. God has given us the opportunity to be missionaries right in our home. That's good news. Yeah. Point number 3. Repenting from rebellion. Jonah chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Jonah said, throw me overboard into the sea, then the storm will stop. It's all my fault. I'm the cause of the storm. Get rid of me, and you'll get rid of the storm. The ship was about to break into pieces. The sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods. They threw everything they were carrying overboard to lighten up the ship. There is complete panic on the ship. Jonah finally snaps out of his sleep. He comes to his senses, and he yells, stop. Stop all that. Stop, stop. Don't throw anything else overboard. I'm the problem. Get rid of me and you'll get rid of the storm. If we are to become men and women of God, we must learn to be people of responsibility. Jonah did not get into the blame game. He didn't explain to the men why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't blame the devil. He didn't blame this person. He didn't blame that person. He didn't blame his upbringing. He finally said, I'm the problem. The Bible talks about a man named David, and, and David sends his men out to war, and, and as the men are out there fighting, you know, uh, uh, David looks out of his window, and he sees Bathsheba on the roof, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I see what I want. And so he tells his men to go over there, and um, y'all didn't catch that. He sends his men over there to find out who she is, and so they, they say, Well... That's Uriah's wife, leave her alone David should have just stopped right there, The end of the story But he says, no, bring her over Brings her over, he commits adultery with her David comes up with this plan, he says, okay I'm in trouble now, so let me do this He brings him off the battlefield, he said, listen You've been doing really well out there, I want you to have a day off Go hang out with your wife He says, absolutely not, my men are out there fighting I'm going to go out there and stay with my men So David's plan didn't work, so what David does He comes up with another plan, he puts him in the front line And gets him killed Now, David thinks everything is good. Nobody will know, but no. God knew. God raises up a prophet named Nathan, and he sends Nathan to David, and he tells David, listen, he tells him this amazing story, and David gets so aggravated. David said, who's that person? Let's go get him. Let's go beat him up. And Nathan looks at him and says, oh, you're the guy. (laughs) And when you read Psalm 51, you begin to read how David is so repented about what he did, and he penned Psalm 51, and he asks God for complete forgiveness. If we are to become men and women of God, we have to assume responsibility for our decisions. It's it's time for us to stop playing the blame game and to take up responsibility for our actions. When God asked Adam, what have you done? Adam blamed it on Eve. When he asked Eve, what you done? She blamed it on the serpent. Jonah said, stop everything. I'm the problem. Beautiful. And here's what God does. Point number four. The result of repentance. Jonah chapter one, verse 17. Then God assigned a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in fish's belly for three days and nights. Repentance is defined as the action of repenting. Sincere regret or remorse. It is to turn from sin. Remember, our passage starts off with God giving Jonah a specific instruction to bring to the Ninevites. But Jonah goes in the complete opposite direction. He gets on a ship, and he heads down to Tarshish. God causes a storm to hit. Jonah repents and takes responsibility. The sailors toss him overboard. The storm stops. God prepares a fish that swallows Jonah up. Imagine that. God speaks to a human being, and the human being disobeys. He speaks to a fish, and the fish says, not a problem, God. I'll go get him. Jonah was the first person ever recorded to take a submarine ride right in the belly of a fish. That's right. <laughs> yes, and where does the fish take him? Oh my God. To Nineveh. That's right. <laughs> Repentance is a complete turning around from sin. Jonah was headed in one direction. And when Jonah repented, God used the fish to turn Jonah around and had him head in the right direction. It's simple. Here you have Jonah, and God says, go that way. Jonah says, absolutely not. I'm going this way. God prepares a fish, sends Jonah back that way, and that is exactly what repentance is. It's turning away from the very thing, disobedience, and turning to the cross. And here's the beauty in the whole story. God provided a big fish for Jonah, and for us, he provides the cross. Second Corinthians 518 tells us that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that we get to bring lost people back to God. Amen. Amen. I mean, that's better than being an electrician or or a carpenter or a lawyer. Being able to bring people to God. Wow. We go on to read in chapter three of the book of Jonah, we find that God uh, uh, reenlists Jonah and he gives Jonah the same assignment that he gave him in chapter one. But this time Jonah listens and obeys. He preaches God's message to the city of Nineveh and the Bible states, this is mind boggling, the Bible states that everyone in that city, even the king, put their trust and belief in God. And all it took was for God to work some stuff out of the heart of one person. Then he was able to send out that missionary to Nineveh. And God sat back and watched an entire city get saved. I've come here this morning to let you know that if God can use Jonah, he can use me and he can use you. And I conclude with Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord uh, smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Let's reach the lost for Jesus. Amen?
1: Amen. Wow, what a message. What a message, and what a call on our lives to go into all the world and make disciples, to reconcile people to God. It is the great work, regardless of what our vocation is as followers of Jesus. This is the thing that we're called to do, uh, to reconcile people to God, and it's a daunting thing. When Anthony was praying this morning in the prayer meeting, I, I was just thinking of uh, I forgot what you were even praying about, I think just about the call and just this great uh, mission that God has given to us to reconcile people. I think you were using that, that word, reconciliation, that we are called to go and reconcile people who are far from God and bring them into right relationship with God. And I just was thinking of how the Apostle Paul uh, said, who is sufficient for these things? The paraphrase would be, who in the world can accomplish that? Like, seriously, we could maybe train and be an electrician or be a lawyer or be a school teacher or be whatever. You know, those are things that we can kind of do. But the, the thought of pulling somebody out of spiritual darkness and bringing them into resurrection life, who can do that? Can you? Even the most clever, the smartest, the most charismatic, the most talented, gifted individuals in the history of the world could not accomplish that. But here's the good news. It's not our work. It's God's work through us. It's not separate from us. Like, we just kind of walk away. God, do your thing. You know, reconcile people. I'll be over here just, you know, hanging out, praying and stuff. And Lord, you do, you do your thing. You know, we're, we're cheering you on. No, he actually uses us. He uses the Jonas and the Anthonys and all of us. We are his instruments. We are vessels that he flows through. And so who is sufficient? For these things, you know, none of us in and of ourselves, but through God. You know, Paul said, Our sufficiency comes from God. And God gives us the equipping, God gives us the words, God gives us the wisdom, God gives us the spirit, spiritual life to display who God is in this world, right? I mean, Jesus put it one of my favorite verses in the Bible, really, is uh, John chapter 7, where Jesus said, if you believe in me, streams of living water will flow out from you, right? It's not, it's not, I'm not going out, like, yeah, in one sense, it's, it's me going out there to do mission, but really, it's, Yeah, I'm going out there, but streams of living water are flowing forth from my inmost being to minister to people. You know, we are rivers of life wherever God has placed us in the barren places in this world. So, yeah, I think one of the biggest problems in in the church often is just this um, almost like excessive self-deprecation. Like, oh, I can't do anything. I'm not, I can't, I'm not, I'm just, yeah, I'm just uh, whatever, you know, whatever you are. I just, I come from i I'm just a normal person. I'm ordinary. I can't, I can't really do anything. Um, yeah. Oh, Anthony, whew, you know, power of God's on him. He can do, you know, he can do great things and all these, you know, other ministers out there do, doing, their things, but I'm just, I'm ordinary. I'm nothing. Listen, who told you that? Who told you that you're Nothing. I don't care if you're like the poorest person in this place, you're the least educated person in this, in this room right now. It doesn't matter like what you come from, what you're ba- Do you realize that God has often chose the weakest things? <laughs> he he chooses like the most unlikely. I mean, if you were Jesus, would you pick a bunch of like cussing fishermen? I mean, would you pick Peter? Seriously? You know, this is what God, God often chooses the the, the most. Like the least likely to succeed, kind of people. I mean, he chooses Moses too, who is incredibly educated, and Paul was incredibly educated. He, he chooses, there's a, there's a span of people, a range of people. But listen, God often chooses the weakest things in the eyes of this world to confound the wise. And I don't know why he does that exactly. We can speculate, but we just know he does. So if you feel weak, if you feel inadequate, if you feel like, I don't know, I'm not good at this, I'm not, I can barely be a Christian myself, never mind, go out and try to, you know, reach other people and be an influence, salt and light in this world. Listen, that's, that's deception. God has put the same Holy Spirit in you that, that Anthony has. That, I don't know who, Billy Graham has or had, I should say, are the greatest men and women of God throughout church history. The Holy Spirit that was in them, the Holy Spirit that that flowed through the Apostle Paul, who was probably the greatest missionary who ever lived. And we could go right down church history. Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody and all the great men and women have gone throughout history. Catherine Booth was on fire for God. You know, these men and women that did so many great things for God. Why did they? It was the Holy Spirit in and through them. And you have that same Holy Spirit. As I always say, I mean, I'm not being funny, but it's like, you don't have like a tinier Holy Spirit. You know, like, oh, Catherine Booth, she had a big Holy Spirit. I have a little Holy Spirit. You know, or, or, or her Holy Spirit was really effective. You know, my Holy Spirit, eh, not so great. You know, not so great. Like, we're talking about the third person of the Holy Trinity. Okay? We're talking about God himself is in you. Christ is in you. The Spirit is in you. We have everything we need to be effective as as missionaries where God has placed us. One of my favorite verses is where Jesus said, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, our job, we we play a role. I think uh, the story brought it out perfect. Our role is obedience. Is yes, Lord. Okay, show me what to do. We don't have to... The Lord doesn't say, well, what do you got? Let me see if you, uh, I'm going to give you the job here. Let's, let's, let's check out your uh, credentials here. Let's see what you can do. What kind of experience do you have? It's never that. It's a willingness. Lord, here I am. I, I've never done this before. I love how Hadassah kind of said that, you know, even about the, okay, I don't, I've never done this before. I'm terrified. Okay, here I am. But Lord, here I am. It's the willingness. It's the openness to be used of God. It's the obedience. That's what God's looking for the pliability, the willingness to obey and to follow him. And then he'll make us, is the promise. He will do it. He will shape us to be fishers of men. He will make us effective in the mission of God where he has placed us. Man, that is good news because it is daunting, right? I mean, here we are in Providence. Sometimes I'm like, why wasn't I... Couldn't I be called to like Nashville or something where people like come to the Lord? You know, this is a tough mission field here in Providence. But God has given us everything we need to do what he has called us to do. Father, thank you for your sufficiency. Thank you for this message this morning, just to stir our hearts. Thank you for Anthony, just bless him, bless his ministry, just continue to bear fruit through him. And Lord, just we pray that something of what he spoke to us this morning would take root in us and would stir us. And uh, Lord, I feel excited to be a missionary. I feel excited to to do the work of God where you have placed me. And so Lord, make us effective, Um, make us salt and light in the places we are. And I know, Lord, there are some in our midst who are going to be called to, you know, to work with campus ministry or to go to the ends of the earth and go help out Joel in Africa, Mozambique, or some may be called to Japan. Somebody was talking to me about that this morning in different places around the world. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to be effective right where we are, in one socket, in the south side of Providence, on College Hill, East Bay, Cranston, our workplaces, our extended family members. Lord, those are our mission fields. And so, Lord, just give us passion. Give us a vision for what you can do. Give us a burden. Baptize us in tears for lost people. Like when we see the multitudes, let us not just shrug our shoulder and be like, eh, people are kind of messed up. Lord, I pray that we would see as you see. When, we, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Lord, give us tears for the people around us. And help us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thanks again, Anthony.